turn in our Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, we sure want you to have a Bible so you're not only hearing the Word, but reading along with your own eyes. And there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. And if you just wave to them or get their attention, they'll be happy to get one into your hands. And always good to read it with your own eyes, even when we're looking at merely a single verse as we're doing this morning in our continuation of our study of Jesus and his life and ministry in chronological order. Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 38. And then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Let's pray together. Lord, we love your word. We love what it does inside of us. We love its revelation of you. We love its power. We love how it strengthens, how it equips, how it comforts, Lord, how it stretches us, how it's always true. And Lord, we thank you for this single verse that we're going to look at this morning. We thank you for all that is bound up in it, Lord, that is from your throne and that you desire for us to know about you. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would come upon us fresh and anew. Pray that you would give us the ability to receive your revelation of your spirit this morning through your word. Take us where you want to take us this morning, Lord, in our own individual hearts as we study this passage today. We pray for each one that stands before you right now that doesn't know you. They haven't yet put their faith in Jesus for salvation and relationship with you. And we pray that today something of what is said will cause things to click for them. And they'll recognize their need, Lord, and take advantage of the opportunity to come to know you personally today. We ask all of these things of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When Jesus died on the cross near the moment of his death, he cried out from that cross, it is finished, communicating that his death upon the cross for our sins in doing that, that he has provided mankind, he has provided you and I with a finished salvation. As the Holy Spirit put it through the Apostle Paul as he wrote his letter to the church at Colossae, he said, For it is writ, it has pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross." And following Jesus' cry of, it is finished, Jesus then cried out to God the Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, as Luke's gospel tells us. And then John gives us the insight of an eyewitness when he tells us that Jesus then bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And the word in, for bowing his head in the original language was a u- word that was used for lowering the head 
It carries the idea of laying my head down upon a bed in order to rest. And there is the communication, the idea here of a peaceful death of one who trusts his father. And it is the picture of someone laying their head down upon a parent and going to sleep. And so having finished providing mankind with salvation, Jesus then peacefully lowered his head and he dismissed his spirit just as he said that he would. Earlier in John's gospel, he declared, Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. And at that very moment that Jesus releases his spirit to the father, he lays his head down at the moment of his death. The father did something that was absolutely mind boggling. The father who has been watching and listening to everything concerning the death of his son When he heard the final cry of his son upon that cross, he reached down into that Jewish temple just a few hundred yards away from Calvary where Jesus died. And he tore the veil inside the temple in two from top to bottom. And as is always the case with a miracle of God, you have the miracle. But God doesn't just do miracles to flex his muscles and to prove that he can do things that we can't do. But these miracles that he did, including this miracle, was done in order to communicate something. It is a miracle that is intended to communicate some great priceless revelation about God and from God. And that's what this miracle does. The veil in the temple was essentially a curtain. According to the Jewish Mishnah, this veil was 60 feet tall. It was 30 feet wide, and it was as thick as a man's hand. It was woven in fine linen with threads of blue and purple and scarlet, and it hung within the interior of the temple. It separated the holy place from the most holy place. The temple was really a very, very simple building. It was made up of two compartments. When you would enter into the temple, a priest would, there would be this rectangular room, not a very large room. And that was called the holy place. As you would make your way through that holy place, there would be a second compartment to that uh, temple, And it was called the most holy place. And this curtain separated those two compartments. The temple and its grounds or its courtyards were, in one sense, simply a series of obstructions. A series of walls and barriers as one would pass progressively from the outside inward through the courts and ultimately to the temple itself, to the holy place in its interior, and ultimately to the holy, uh, most holy place or the holy of holies itself. If you were a Gentile and you came to that area of the temple, you could go into the court of the Gentiles, which was the court that was located the furthest away from the holy of holies. 
But then as you would make your way uh, toward the temple from that quarter of the, of the, the Gentiles, you would be come into contact with a great wall that warned that no, no one but a Jew was able to pass any further upon punishment of death. Closer still was the court of the women. If you were a Jewish woman, you could go that far. And then there was another wall that only Jewish men could go beyond that wall. And then beyond that stood the temple itself, and only a priest could enter into the first of those two interior chambers that made up the interior of the temple, the place called the Holy Place. And at the far end of that room was another room called the Holy of Holies, or the Most Holy Place. And separating, as I said, those two great rooms was this great veil. And the Holy of Holies was called that because it represented the presence of God. It was there where God, under the Old Covenant, chose to meet with man. And when, then in order to emphasize and give us a revelation of the holiness of God, only one man in the entire world was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, only the Jewish high priest, a direct descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses himself, and he could only enter into the Holy of Holies one day in the year on the Day of Atonement and only after a sacrifice had been offered for his own sin. And the high priest would enter through that curtain on behalf of the people on the Day of Atonement. He would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant was there, that was there and then the blood that was before the Ark of the covenant and for a covering of their sin. And then for the other 364 days of the year, the Holy of Holies sat completely silent and dark, quiet, completely undisturbed. And the term veil suggests something which separates or conceals or hides and everything about that temple was a reminder of the fact that sin separates mankind from God. And that our sin has caused a separation between us and God. And there was the constant reminder of that. Anywhere you look, to the right or the left or before you or behind you, in the entirety of the temple and all of its courtyards. But now God reached down at the death of his son. And he proceeded to tear that veil in two. And the impact that would have produced upon those at the temple would have been one of really indescribable astonishment. And all of this took place at three o'clock in the afternoon, the afternoon on the day of preparation for the Feast of Passover. And at the same time that Jesus dies on that cross and that veil is torn from top to bottom, the lambs were being slaughtered for the Passover meal that evening. And since it was a feast day, it was entirely possible that Caiaphas, the high priest, was at that very moment performing the solemn act of burning incense before the veil at the very moment that God tore it in two. And this is the same Caiaphas who had condemned Jesus earlier in the day, who had allowed false witnesses to testify against him, 
who had asked Jesus plainly, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And when Jesus declared to him, it is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And Caiaphas then declared, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, you have heard his blasphemy, and he asked his fellow religious leaders, what do you think? And they said, he's deserving of death, and they began to spit spit upon him and to beat him. And others began to strike him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is it that struck you? And imagine as he begins to hear that great tear of that great veil. I think most of us have owned a linen sheet that has worn out and we decide to tear it now into pieces to make rags of it. And I mean the the how loud just the tearing of a linen sheet that is less than an eighth of an inch thick, a sixteenth of an inch thick, the noise that just that will make in a room. It'll bring someone from another room and say, what are you doing in here? Imagine a veil the width of a man's hand being torn by God and the sound of it that it must have gone through the temple area. And as he begins to hear that tear, he looks up and he watches it be torn from top to bottom. And then when it is completely torn in two, he's staring straight into the Holy of Holies. And imagine as the news of this begins to move through the ranks of the priests that something supernatural has happened. Only God could tear a veil in that way. And it's no wonder that early in the book of Acts we're told that so many priests became believers. The tearing of that veil would have just about broken the minds of the Jewish religious leaders. Concerning that holy of holies, nothing was to be moved, nothing was to be touched, nothing was to be seen except by one man, and that just once a year. And here now the veil is torn in two. I mean, you can picture it in your mind as it just kind of hangs there awkwardly, held there by the gold and the hooks of gold and the clasps of silvers, as is recorded in the law of Moses. And now the Holy of Holies is left completely exposed to anyone who would look, like to look inside. The Holy of Holies lies completely open for anyone to walk inside. What was God communicating through the tearing of the veil? Surely it revealed his mourning over what had been done to his son, in large part by the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day. One of the interesting things that Caiaphas did in his trial of Jesus is that following his rejection of Jesus and Jesus' claim to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, to be the Son of God, is that Caiaphas, upon hearing those declarations, he then tore his clothes. And in the ancient world, to tear your clothes was an outward way of 
expressing that something has damaged your heart, news or word has so damaged your heart that your heart has been torn as a result. And so they would tear their garments to express how deeply the news had torn their heart. And in doing this, in the tearing of his garment, Caiaphas was accusing Jesus of blasphemy. And it was an expression of his complete and utter rejection of Jesus and his claim. I wonder that as he stood there before that altar of incense and he watched that veil be torn by God from top to bottom, if he realized that God at that very moment was tearing his garment over the blasphemy of religious man directed toward his son, I wonder if Caiaphas understood that God was communicating his complete rejection of Caiaphas and all that he stood for. It's almost as if when religious man refused to be shocked at the murder of their Messiah, at, at the murder of the Son of God, that God then tore his garment, he tore his covering in order to communicate the depth of the pain that he had experienced upon witnessing and, and watching and listening to the very death of his Son. Every square inch of that temple and the tabernacle before it, Everything about it, everything about every one of its furnishings and everything associated with it was spoke of Jesus, communicated of the Messiah that would come and they had missed it all. Jesus spoke to the religious leaders of his day and he said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have everlasting life. But these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. That veil was woven of blue and purple and scarlet thread and woven of fine linen. And the colors all speak of the person of Christ and the work of Christ. The white linen speaks of Jesus' perfect righteousness, of his perfect, spotless, sinless Life, The blue thread, blue being the color of heaven, speaks of his heavenly origin, that he truly was and is the Son of God. The purple thread, purple is the color of royalty, and it speaks of Jesus' royalty, that he is not only a king, that he is not only the king of the Jews, but that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And the scarlet thread, the color of blood, speaks of his suffering and his death for our sins upon the cross. And woven into that great curtain were the cherubim, or the angels, representing the presence of the angels' active ministry around the throne of God, the throne from which Jesus had come. Additionally, in the tearing of the veil, the Father was communicating that the old covenant was now wonderfully and perfectly fulfilled in the death of Christ. And that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was now to give way and giving way to a new covenant. A relationship with God no longer based upon doing, but based upon what Jesus has done for us. A new covenant with God, a new relationship with God. No longer based on types and shadows and, and this kind of thing, but based upon the substance 
of those things. The substance of Christ, his life, his blood, his sacrifice. The old high priest replaced with Jesus. A high priest who will never sin and who never fails. The old sacrifices that had to be offered annually and even continually, now fulfilled and replaced in Jesus, who was offered once for our sins, once and for all. The old sacrifices had been offered in order to cover man's sin, now fulfilled by Jesus' sacrifice, which washes away our sin. And interestingly, things did not stop with a torn veil. The temple itself would be completely destroyed in slightly less than 40 years by the Romans. And why would God allow that great Jewish temple to be destroyed? Because he had departed from that temple 40 years earlier following the death of his son. Because he had replaced that temple made of stone, now with a new temple made of living stones. There's a new place to meet with God, which was the purpose of the temple. It was no longer to occur at a temple of stone, a physical building, but the meeting with God now occurs through the surrendered lives of His disciples all around the world who are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, made a habitation of God and a place for people all around the world to come into contact with God. Peter wrote and he said, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul wrote and declared, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? To the same Christians at Corinth, he said, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That torn veil cried out one single great word to all sinners, both then and now. And the great communication from the throne of God to sinful man in the tearing of that veil is the word access, that access to God is now equally available to every single person in this world. No more court of the Gentiles, no more court of the women, no more court of the priests, no more holy place, no more most holy place. Now, anyone and everyone, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, smart, not so smart, the powerful, the powerless, everyone can be as close to God as they want to be. And here is an access to God that would have left the Old Testament saints, I mean literally slack-jawed and stunned with all of the sacrifices and the ordinances that they kept on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on an annual basis. The Apostle Paul, formerly a Pharisee, 
and a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He declared of himself his whole life given over to obeying each one of the 614 commandments of the law of Moses. He never his whole life ceased to be stunned at the access to God that the sacrifice of Christ has provided for us. He wrote to the church in Rome, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. To the church at Ephesus, he said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been made near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Again in his letter to the church at Ephesus, to me who am least than the least of all the saints, this grace has been given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Here is an access that Christ has provided for us to receive salvation. Anyone and everyone is invited by God in the tearing of that temple to be saved. We think of it, we are, for the most part, Gentile Christians. We don't come to Christ through a series of a, a, a long history or a childhood or an early adult life of sacrifices and temples and priests and ordinances and laws. For the most part, we come to know Christ out of paganism, out of secularism, out of our own selfism. We come to know him from that kind of a background. And then we're told by someone that God is willing to save people like you and me. And we accept it as a fact. But for the Jewish mind, the Jewish rabbis, not all of them, but many of them would wake up and the first prayer of their morning would be, God, I thank you that you have not made me a woman or a Gentile or a dog. There was within the minds of many of the Jewish teachers that there were people in this world who could not be saved, who did not deserve to be saved. 
And you think about that kind of a mind and that kind of a heart, the impact that the tearing of that veil would have had upon them. As God was communicating that my heart does not share that heart at all, I have opened up salvation to anyone and to everyone. And in the book of Hebrews we're told, and it's one of the most beautiful verses in a beautiful book, We're told that that veil represented the very body of Jesus, that the tearing of that veil spoke of his body being torn for us upon the cross in order to make a way for us to come to Christ. And because of his sacrifice, we have the writer of the book of Hebrews says boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Paul wrote and said there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no more need of priests or altars or temples or ordinances or sacrifices In order to be saved, it is faith alone in Christ that provides us with salvation and access to God. And then after having become saved, this same torn veil speaks one of the most precious truths to us as Christians, that we have access to God in prayer. We have access to God in terms of communication and fellowship. We can come to God any time, day or night. We can come to God anywhere that we are in the world. We can talk to Him in the aisle of a supermarket. We can talk to Him in the middle of a difficult meeting at school or at work. We can talk to Him when we're alone. We can talk to Him in a crowded room. We can talk to him and be interrupted and have to take care of some piece of business and rejoin the conversation with God three minutes later, three hours later, ten hours later, and pick up in the very word that we left off. That's the kind of access and communication that we have with the Lord. We can stop and talk to God any time, not just once a year. And one particular kind of man representing us all. We can all have a personal relationship with God. We can all have intimacy with God, relationship with God, communication with God that was at one time reserved for but one man living in the entirety of the world. Again, the Jewish mind, as they thought about this kind of thing coming from that background, it would have been just it would have blown their mind in terms of what God was communicating to them. And it's because of Jesus' sacrifice that we can enter in to God's presence in prayer and praise at any time. Again, the writer of the book of Hebrews, let us therefore come boldly in the light of Jesus' sacrifice. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help In time of need, I have a personal relationship with God. 
You who are Christians have a personal relationship with God. I don't have to have that relationship with God through any priest, through any preacher, through any pastor, through any other human being. God has given us equal access. Each of us can have as close and intimate and personal and constant and instant a personal relationship with God as each of us desires. It's all been opened up to us. And again, I think it's important for us to be mindful as Gentile believers, because this is the only access we have ever known. That's the invitation we received when we gave our life to Christ. That we could have a personal relationship with him. And sometimes we receive the Lord into our heart without a full or even a minimal appreciation for the miracle that God had done in providing us with that access. Because we didn't come from a Jewish background. But we're not left without the appreciation. And you know how the appreciation for the access grows? As we learn the whole Bible, and we go back to that Old Testament that's almost completely ignored by Christians today. And we begin to read the law of Moses. We begin to read of the sacrifices, the construction of the temple, the furnishings of the temple. And until we know Christ, it means nothing to us. It looks like a, a, a study on architecture and furniture making and what in the world. But then we begin to realize that all of it speaks of Christ. And then we begin to realize that all of it speaks of the holiness of God. And how amazing it is that a sinful man like me can have a personal relationship with a holy God. And we spend as Gentile believers the rest of our living days in this pilgrimage growing in our understanding of and our awe of this incredible access that God has given to us through his son. What an amazing privilege has been given to us, the privilege of prayer, the privilege of worship, which we've just engaged in, the privilege of praise and thanksgiving being lifted up to him, the privilege of having our heart united with his heart and this kind of constant communication and fellowship that goes on between us and him all through the day and access that has been made available to us through Christ. And it's wonderful for us to think nothing of stopping at any moment, in any circumstance, and lifting up our prayers to the Lord. And we shouldn't give it a second thought, except to realize, even from maybe a little bit of a Jewish perspective, the holiness of God and the awesomeness of what has been purchased for us through the blood of Christ to have this kind of access to the Lord. And this passage in the tearing of the veil makes us aware of how great a privilege this access is. We notice that the veil that the veil was torn by God from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. 
In other words, this access to God has been provided to us by God. He tore the veil from top to bottom. If we had attempted to tear the veil by devising some kind of a religious something or other to open up the access uh, to God, we would never, ever know that our access was constant, that it was sure, that it was something that we would always have with God. We would wonder, all right, I'm going to pray now, but because I raised my voice at one of the children this morning, will my prayer go anywhere? Do I still have access after I've sinned? Will he hear my prayer of confession for sin and the asking for forgiveness? And it's because God tore the veil and he tore it from the top to the bottom that we know that this access is a constant and a sure, uninterrupted access that each of us possesses as Christians. It's not something that we've earned on the basis of our works or on the basis of our own human effort. Religion is the attempt to reach up to God, to link with God by virtue of of works or some kind of man-made ideas to tear the veil from the bottom to the top. Christianity is God reaching down to man from the top to the bottom. The torn veil is God's invitation to all of mankind to come in to the deepest, the most Instant, personal relationship with God possible and imaginable. And he has provided this access. We could never earn it precisely because we could never earn it, but because he loves us so much that he desired that we would have this kind of relationship with him. And when we come to know God through our faith in Christ, We are coming at his invitation, and the torn veil lets us know that. When you confess your sin to God, if you don't know Christ here this morning, you've never put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. God wants you to have the confidence that whatever background you might come from, And the Jewish religious leaders, they spoke of the Gentiles as dogs. Not all of them, but a lot of them did. And we can look and say and get in a huff concerning the Jewish religious leaders, but we didn't live in the day. They considered Gentiles to be dogs because at the time the Gentile, the non-Jewish population of the world was living on the level of dogs for the most part in their appetites of their flesh. And here was this great gulf. I mean, yes, it was a self-righteousness that the Jews had turned the Old Testament into when it was never intended to be that, but salvation on the basis of faith. But this kept them in some kind of a band of morality, and they looked over at the Gentiles and thought God wouldn't be interested in them at all. And sometimes we can have the same idea, no matter if we come from a background of great sin in our lives. Or you can be a small sinner with a tender conscience. 
And those two or three or five or ten things that that person over here would look at and say, you consider that to be sin, and you know it to be sin. You'd love to have every one of those words back. And all of those words are driving you into condemnation. And God is using them to drive you to faith in Christ. And that torn veil is God's invitation to all of us, no matter where we come from in life. That we come to him in a relationship with him at his invitation because he desires it for us. And if you've never received Christ, this morning there are going to be men and women up in front immediately after our service. They're going to have a badge on that says prayer and their name so you can identify them easily. And they'd love to pray with you to begin this personal relationship with God today. It's all there for the asking, all there for the receiving. For those of us who know Christ and love Christ, let's make sure in a kind of gentle word of exhortation, this access has been provided at great cost. Let's make sure that we're taking care, taking advantage of the greatness of this access in our prayer and in our communion and in our relationship with God, going as deep in a personal relationship with God as is humanly possible before we stand before Him in heaven. Not just looking at the privilege of this, growing accustomed to it, and then letting this great privilege and this access collect dust on a shelf somewhere but to fully use the access for our own blessing, our own need, but also to bless the heart of God, who for some crazy reason that is known largely to himself, we know it's because of his love, gets something out of his relationship with you and with me. What a great privilege. What a great access has been provided to us. What a great price was paid for it. May we always be bold and unhindered, as the writer of the book of Hebrews declares, to use that access anytime, any place, all the time, every place, the remaining days of our pilgrimage in heading straight into the presence of God in prayer and praise and thanksgiving and worship. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the access that you have provided for us. And all we know is that for each of us as Christians who stands before you, we have some level of appreciation for that access. And Lord, we pray as we do so often that you look beyond the words that can never finally and fully express our thanksgiving to you for all of these riches that are ours in Christ But, Lord, we pray that you would look at our hearts and our spirits again this morning and see the praise and the thanksgiving that is in them, Lord, because of this access. 
We thank you, Lord, for the kind of relationship that you have opened up to us, not merely the ability to one day go to heaven, not merely to have a relationship with you, but some distant once a year kind of thing or some sacrifice of an animal kind of thing, but for it to be instant, Lord, and as personal as it is, as ongoing as it is, uninterrupted as it is, Lord, we give you praise this morning for that access, and we give you praise for our Savior Jesus who has made all of it possible. Thank you for this relationship that we have with you through him. Thank you, Father, in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.